0: my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. On this episode, I want to address something that's been in the news off and on during the pandemic, people stocking up on essential supplies. I have a different angle I want you to take when you're deciding what to buy. I'm also going to talk about COVID rebates you may not have received on your car insurance. So reports are that people are stocking up again on toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning supplies of various types, and it's because of the Delta variant, freaked people out, and people were worried there were going to be lockdowns. I want to make something really clear. Unless this morphs into something like the bubonic plague, the Black Death, something, you know, from the Middle Ages, something like that. We are not going back into lockdown in the United States. People are absolutely positively fatigued from coronavirus. And people are like, enough of this already. So you may have, depending on the uh, leadership Politically in a state or a local area, you may have uh, mask mandates, you may, with lots of employers, have vaccine mandates, but it's all about living with coronavirus and continuing to function, not about going into lockdown. That is not going to happen again. So don't fear that suddenly when you got to go, there's no toilet paper. That's not going to happen. And in fact, people so panic bought or whatever you call what they did when people went crazy buying toilet paper last year. Even with the step up and buying recently, the inventories remain really solid because people have, a lot of people apparently have enough toilet paper to last till who knows what, to Armageddon. I don't know. And uh, my wife, this is so funny, but the year before COVID back in 2019, I have a tendency, we had a, a, a supply room in our house, and I had a tendency when I'd see a real good deal on who knows what, there was a non-perishable item, I would buy too much of it. And Lane had told me back in 2019, stop doing this, stop <laughs> buying all this stuff. But we still had plenty, plenty of everything when we hit 20 and when we as Americans really tuned into uh, COVID-19 in uh, March of last year. And we've been fine through the process. And we finally had whittled down our paper towel supply to where we were down to three rolls of paper towels. And I just reordered Sam's Club had a really good deal recently on paper towels, and I have that Sam's Club Plus membership where I got free delivery of pretty much everything, and so I ordered another case of paper towels, and now we're good for another, I don't know, six or eight months from that one container of paper towels that came, and so I encourage you to be relaxed about it, but I want you to think about this differently. I want you to think about supplies that you might need for the unexpected we know that COVID's here but who knows what happens with the uh, with the Chinese communists or that lousy dictator Putin in Russia or who knows who uh, tries to shut down our power grid or shuts down our banking grid And so I'd like for you to think about how would you deal with an unexpected situation, not what we know is happening with the Delta variant or whatever comes after that with COVID, but how do you deal with the thing you don't know is coming? How are you prepared? We're not survivalists, but we have a supply of non-perishable food. And we have a supply of water. And the whole thing is to be prepared. Before we moved into a condo, we had a house with a generator. So when the power would go out, in our case, it was storm after storm after storm. The power would go out. We had power for about two-thirds of the things in our house from the generator. And so thinking about things like having a reserve of cash I know there are people who think I'm out of my mind in 21 that I still think about having an emergency supply of cash but what if your debit or credit card did not work suddenly because the the Russians or the Chinese or whoever decided to take down our banking sector How are you going to pay for things and that's where cash comes in the picture. And I keep $400 available, which is enough to be able to make sure that we're, we can get food for a good while, which is going to be the most important thing to be able to get. And these are just the kind of things I want you to think about. Not that I'm predicting doomsday or anything like that, but disruptions, that's part of the pattern that we've seen from Putin is that he can't see to the needs of his own people. Their quality of life is going down the tubes. Their lifespan's going down the tubes. Average income in Russia going in the toilet. And so, what he'd rather do is make misery for other people is a way of obtaining negative power. The guy is a piece of garbage. And so, we have to be prepared for what that guy might do or somebody else might do to us. And that's why I so strongly recommend that you do think about not, oh, we got to go buy this because blah, 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 but that you methodically prepare for the unexpected. Krista?
1: Well, speaking of that, Vicki in Ohio wrote in and said, with companies getting hacked, leaving some services down, and climate change causing extreme weather events, I'm wondering if I need to buy a generator for my 1,300-square-foot home. And if so, what brand and size generator would you suggest?
0: So, Vicki, it's pretty easy online to see what size generator you need to operate the things in your home you want to operate. And a lot of people who buy an emergency generator for their home buy one that's a relatively small one, often that can run on... Fuel, which is the most common way people will run one. There are people that have one like I used to have that ran on natural gas and was permanently installed with a natural gas line going to it, and it automatically kicked on in the event of a power outage. We lived in an area with very unreliable above-ground electricity, and the power would go out many times a year, And so it was a huge advantage for us having a generator that just automatically kicked on. For the things you're talking about, buying a smaller fuel-powered unit is likely a better idea. And Consumer Reports has a really thorough generator buying guide divided out by types of generators, sizes, the particular models and brands and models they recommend. And it's worth you either, uh, if you're a library member, accessing the generator buying guide through the library or paying consumer reports for one-time use access of their generator buying guide, and you'll be able to know what to buy. As far as buying, if you buy a portable generator, you're not talking about a huge amount of money, like one that would power much of what you'd want in your home buying it outside of a storm time, you're probably looking at something around $2,500 to $3,000 to have that backup power you'd like for a lot of things in your house.
1: This is from Tracy in Arkansas. I've been looking for a used Land Rover Discovery. I found a 2001 with only 79,000 miles on it, asking $1,700. I made an inquiry and got a response telling me to do the transaction through eBay eBay, in quotes, sent me an invoice for the vehicle and directed me to buy eBay gift cards for the amount. I thought, pay for a car with that by buying gift cards. That does not seem right. The owner sent pics of the vehicle. I fell in love immediately, but not to the point of stupid. Clark, have you ever heard of that before?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is sadly a common con. And Tracy, this is completely a scam. You are so smart to have not fallen for it. And what happens is that criminals will pull real legitimate listings of vehicles, including their pictures, their VIN, and all that. They'll post it for sale, and then they will see how many times they can rip people off over and over again selling the same vehicle they don't own and telling you in whatever way that you're paying for it through a third-party platform And the whole uh, gift card thing is an automatic tip-off that you were about to be scammed out of your $1,700. So I'm so glad you didn't get taken by these crooks.
1: And this is from Daniel in Florida. I'm going to Costa Rica next year to visit my brother, and he says they really get you on the car rental insurance. What is my best option for renting a car? Any way to avoid the expensive insurance? On a side note, I don't have any insurance in my name as I drive my girlfriend's car and the insurance is in her name.
0: So Costa Rica is historically a big problem for car renters. It's one of the countries where it's hard to rent a car without buying the coverage from the car rental company itself. One suggestion I'd have is see if you can go on the car rental booking site carrentals.com and book your car rentals rental through it and when you do that one of the options they'll offer you is to buy insurance from them and if you're able to do that then you'll be insured by the time you get to the counter at a less than exorbitant rate that you would be charged at the car rental counter itself that may or may not pay off for you because I've not seen if they will sell you insurance for a rental involving Costa Rica but it is very common in Costa Rica that the insurance cost is far far higher than the actual cost of the car rental itself
1: And this is from Paul in Massachusetts. I'm a T-Mobile customer. I pay $45 a month for unlimited service. When I heard Clark say that Mint Mobile was offering unlimited service for $30 a month, I immediately called T-Mobile and asked if they would match that rate. They refused but offered a one-time credit of $30 off my next bill. I would prefer to stay with T-Mobile as I've been a customer for over 20 years but see no need to pay a higher price for the same service. Your thoughts or suggestions, please. Well,
0: I'm very impressed, Paul, that you netted out a $15 monthly bill instead of the 45 you were paying. Uh, you're obviously a very loyal person that you've stayed with one cell phone carrier for over 20 years. That's wild. And so it's it's a hard leap for me to ask you to do this. But if you do the met Mobile, and it works out well for you, then you're saving $180 a year being with MetMobile on their unlimited plan versus being with T-Mobile for the unlimited plan you have with them. And you always have the option of going back to someone else when it's not working for you anymore. But there is another alternative I'll suggest to you as well, and that's Visible. Visible is 25 a month if you end up in one of those plans with other people, other strangers. And there's all kinds of message boards where people match up with other people on Visible. And then they're paying $25 a month. And Visible is actually owned by Verizon. You're on their network. You're on their plan. And Visible is the only company I know that gives unlimited hotspot availability with your cell phone plan and so for a group of people it's 25 a month and each person's billed individually for just an individual going in you pay 40 but if you group up with other people you drop that to 25. I know that's a lot to throw at you all at once Paul but I just want you to know that the marketplace is moving two directions at once AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile are all with their brand name companies are all trying to push people's rates up. At the same time, each of them offer their discount brands where prices are going down and then third-party discounters like Mint Mobile, rates are going down, down, down. So people who want the comfort of staying with Brand name Verizon, brand name AT&T, brand name T-Mobile may find they're paying more over time for their cell phone service. People that are willing to break away can end up getting a real deal. Straight ahead, some people got some cuts on their auto insurance rates for a small period of time during the pandemic, but overall, we're still paying a lot more for auto insurance than we expected. I'm going to explain what's going on and what you can do about it early in the pandemic a number of auto insurers were either pressured by regulators forced by regulators or on their own gave small rebates on your auto insurance because if you remember late spring through much of summer last year people just flat out stopped driving I mean, think about the roads that were so empty. I was talking to a guy who has a fast Mustang, and he'd never really gotten a chance to really let it loose. And he was on one of those urban freeways. It was a huge number of lanes. And he was on a straightaway. Well, he kind of got out of control. And, and a 65 got clocked by the state police going 127. Uh, That was quite a ticket, and it's one you got taken to jail for. And what saved him was he didn't go to jail because it was during the pandemic at the point that they weren't taking people for nonviolent offenses to jail because of spread among the inmates and the guards. So he ended up having to do community service, pay the fines and all that. But the reality is the roads really emptied out. There's still a pattern with traffic that's very different than normal. There's a lot less traffic in most midsize and major metro areas in the morning hours. And then heavier traffic than before the pandemic in afternoon hours. And it's because a lot of people that are working from home decide in the afternoon it's time for them to go shop or go to the gym or go whatever. And traffic counts are small in the morning big in the afternoon. There's uh, been a very upsetting rise in the number of ultra high speed accidents. Uh, Fatalities for miles driven are higher than they should be. A lot of people have been driving really crazy. So it's a mixed bag. There are people driving substantially less. There are others driving substantially worse than they did before the pandemic. And insurers overall have potentially lower overall claims dollar expenses than they had before but not the huge difference that there was early in the pandemic but here's the key thing for you if you are in the roughly one in three people that are on the road a lot less than you used to be your insurer is benefiting from it and you are subsidizing people that are driving as much or more as before. So in your case, there's a great advantage for you figuring out how many miles are you really driving now? How many are you driving a week, a month, a year? And go out and see what's available in the marketplace for you with the new reality of how little you're driving versus how much you were driving that your insurance premiums have been based on. So it's your money. I want you to spend less of it and hold on to more of it. Krista? This is from
1: someone who signed their submission, afraid to file in Florida. As a resident of Florida, is there any way to keep my cheating husband from getting half of my retirement and assets if I divorce him?
0: Well, first of all, I want to tell you I'm really sorry about The pain that you're going through finding out about your husband's behavior and you bring up a very important thing and that is states that require what's known as equitable distribution of marital assets equitable distribution does not necessarily mean 50 50 there are people who assume that's what it means but in a case where You earned your money. He earned his money. You want to get to a lawyer who does, it's funny they call it family practice law, a lawyer who specializes in divorce, and before you hire one, you want to talk to him or her about the issue that not so much they're not going to care, the court's not going to care about the fact that he has been a disloyal husband, What you want to talk about is the division of these assets and how do you hold on to the money that you've worked hard over the years saving. And anything you can show was yours before you got married, you're going to have an ability potentially to take that out of the pie that's divided just by itself. But you need to lawyer up because I can tell You're done with him, but you're scared about the financial implications, and that's where you need to concentrate, and best to you.
1: All right. This is from David in New Mexico. When I was in my mid-50s, I'm now 68, I purchased a long-term care policy for my wife and I, suggested by my formal financial advisor. My initial premium was around $3,500 for both of us. The maximum monthly benefit is $6,157 over a period of 10 years shared between us and is compounded with a 5% inflation protection benefit. I received a letter from them yesterday that AMBEST had downgraded the company's financial strength to C++, indicating it has a marginal ability to meet ongoing insurance obligations. As a result of their mismanagement, our premium went up 31% versus the 53% they forecasted in February. Five years ago, they went up 50%. My premium will now be $6,300. They do have less expensive alternative options that either reduce the amount of coverage time or include co payments for a reduced rate. I feel like I'm being taken to the cleaners. What are your suggestions,
0: Clark? You are being taken to the cleaners. This was a company that was extremely aggressive in the sale of long term care insurance a generation ago. Uh, You bought it just like 13 years ago, but they had fought for market share and sold on false economics policies that were not sustainable. And so they got you hooked. They've had your money for all these years. They've raised the premiums. They're raising them again. And still their financial solvency is in doubt. This is Uh, What I think is from Star Trek is the Kobayashi Maru. This is the no-win scenario that you're in, and it's bad, ugly. If you can afford the premiums, you hate them, but you can afford the higher premiums, keep the higher benefit. The monthly benefit with the compounded inflation protection is extremely valuable to you. If the company does go insolvent, and is seized by uh, the state where it's based, there will be a guarantee fund payout to you. As to how much the value of that will be, will be unknown, hard to indicate. But this is something where you did everything right. You planned well. You paid to protect you, your assets from the possibility of needing extensive care in older age. And your reward is these people are taking you to the cleaners. For now, I recommend that you just pay the higher premium, maintain the benefits as long as you can afford the 6360. If you can do so, at least for now, you know that coverage is in place.
1: And from Jan in Georgia, my daughter is dating a young man and they are planning on marrying. My daughter's first name is the same as his sister's first name, and both of them are born in the same month and year, so their birth dates are very similar. Should we be concerned about confusion of their credit reports once my daughter marries and the girls' names are the same except for middle initials? And if so, is there a way to minimize the
0: possible confusion? So Jan... Your daughter is about to marry two people on the same day when she gets married because you are a hundred percent right. It's what the credit bureaus call a married file when there are people of similar name, particularly similar geographic location. You got same birth month. You got so many things that are similar. Their files are very very likely to be married, as they say at the bureaus. And that could cause a problem for either or both of them. If either of them end up being delinquent on a debt, it likely could reflect on the reports of both. Credit reporting is an inaccurate function, and the credit bureaus have not done the best job they could, because they don't want to spend the money, to make credit reports more accurate. I know I'm going to make a suggestion that for many people does not fit tradition, but if your daughter kept the her current last name officially, could uh, they could uh, call themselves by, if you prefer his last name, they could do that once they're married um, unofficially. But if she kept her last name as it is, that would help a whole lot in preventing the files being married. I mean, here I am just stepping on romance left and right, Krista. And I want to tell you, if we didn't get to your question or you want advice, we have free advice for you from our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. It's one-on-one advice, available Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon Eastern Time. You can call in and speak with one of our advisors at 636-49-CLARK. And I want to thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day.